Let's bless you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for this man. We thank you that you've called him to this place. We thank you for what you've put on his heart and mind for this morning. And we pray that you will help him, that you'll give him grace, that you'll speak through him, that we will hear what you're saying and be those who put the word into action. Bless him, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hello. Thanks, Rod. Good to see you all. Um, thanks, Tom. Having just been away last week, do turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah 4, which is where we'll be today. Um, if we've not met before, I'm James, I'm one of the leaders here at New Life. It's good to have you with us if you join us uh, for the first time. We're in a series on Nehemiah, and uh, as I said, we're in chapter 4 today. And we're thinking about, and the reason we're doing, you know, Nehemiah, why, why, are, we doing, why are we doing a series in the book of Nehemiah? Well, we want to understand, don't we, the world that we live in. We want to understand the world that we're living in. And we want to understand the part that God has us uh, to play in it. Do I need to step forward, Liam? Is that a problem? Yeah? Right. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we want to understand the world that we're living in, don't we? We want to understand the times we're living in and we want to understand the part that God has for us to play in it. In Nehemiah's day, uh, the walls of Jerusalem, as we've heard, were broken down. They were in complete and utter ruin. They were destroyed. And God's people were scattered all around the Persian Empire, living under occupation. They were in exile um, and some had started returning to rebuild the walls. It was difficult times for them as a people. What's going on in our world today? People are experiencing difficult times, aren't they? People are experiencing difficult times. Uh, Brokenness, pain, hurt, um, the wreckage that we see going on around us. We only need to open up our newspapers to see the damage that's being done in our communities and in people's lives. You you will know people. You'll know their stories. You will have seen the hurt and the pain that they're going through. Uh, and we know that our communities, the, people, the, the wreckage that we see, people are in need of healing. We're in need of healing, aren't we? And of restoration. And it can be difficult to live in this kind of world. It can be confusing and bewildering, can't it? You can feel a bit lost at times with all that's going on. You can feel a bit discouraged by the things that we're reading of. And God calls Nehemiah in his day to bring restoration to Jerusalem by rebuilding the walls and renewing the life of God's people. But Nehemiah is just his own nice little story, just kind of compact here in Scripture. He's pointing us to Jesus, to the restoration man who has come to heal and restore what was broken through his life, death and resurrection. And the good news is that Jesus is still doing that today in our world that we're living in. That he's come to build his church, to bring healing and restoration in us and through us, restoring the brokenness, the pain, the hurt, and the ruin in people's lives and in our community. Because the Bible is not just a collection of kind of nice stories without connection. It's this big, overarching, dramatic story of what God is doing throughout history. 
It's this amazing story of the purposes of God throughout history with an amazing beginning and an incredible end and a bit of a car crash in the middle. And as we read Nehemiah's story and go through the book, we're reading a glimpse of the amazing future hope that we have in Jesus, that Jesus has come to fulfil, that he's come to bring healing and restoration to us, to make all things right and make all things new. And the good news is that our lives fit into God's big overarching story, that Jesus came to bring healing and restoration to you and to I. And for us to extend that healing and restoration out to those that we know of in our lives, into our communities and into our world. Maybe you're not a Christian here today. God wants you to know that he knows about the difficulties in your life. He knows about it. He's not unaware. And he wants to do all of this for you too. So should we have a look at the passage? Nehemiah chapter... Uh, now when Sambalat, who's the bad guy, heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. He jeered, ridiculed at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, yeah, what are they building? If a fox goes off on that, it'll break down their stone wall. Oh, hear us, O oh God, for we are despised. They're praying. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. Give them up to be plundered in a land where they're captives. Don't cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they've provoked you to anger, provoked you, God, to anger in the presence of the builders. They're opposing you, God, and your work. Verse 6, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work, or the people worked with all their heart, it says in some translations. But when Sambala and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, those are the enemies surrounding the four sides of Jerusalem, heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, that the breaches, the gaps, were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah... Um, Jews, were, those are the Jews who were scattered around Jerusalem um, it was said the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing there's too much rubble by ourselves we, we won't be able to rebuild the wall and our enemy said they'll not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work at that time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times you must return to us i.e. give up someone to work So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your brothers, sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. 
And when our enemies heard that it was known to us, we'd worked out their plan, and God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. And those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each laboured on the work with one hand, and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. And the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. And we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Uh, So we laboured at the work. Half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, not out there where you'll be dead meat, but that they may guard, be a guard for us night and may labour by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand, i.e. they were ready to defend You don't have to be walking very long in life to realise that it's a bit of a battle, do you? You don't have to be walking the Christian life for very long to realise that you're in a battle. And uh, it's very popular, isn't it? You go to the cinema, you'll see these great stories of big battles between good and evil. Young children who've got Spider-Man t-shirts who love these great dramas of good versus evil. And there's, in Scripture, it tells us that there's such a battle going on. There's such a war going on. In verse 1, it says, We have an enemy who is angry and he's greatly enraged. He's incensed. He's angry and greatly enraged. And in the Bible, we see this great dramatic story, this cosmic story going on that involves a war between good and evil, that, that Jesus has won the war on the cross and through his resurrection to life. But there's still battles going on. Because the devil, while he's a defeated enemy, he's also throwing a tantrum because he's lost. He's angry. And at every turn, it doesn't matter whether it's through pain or through pleasure, he's trying to derail, deceive, and destroy, destroy our lives. He's out to destroy your life. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? There is one who is out there who wants to wreck your and my life. Maybe you're not a Christian here today and you think, oh, it sounds a little bit dramatic, a little bit full on. But we need to look around us at the lives of people around us and in our communities, read the news to see that it's very likely that there's someone or something behind it all trying to deceive, derail and destroy people's lives. And the Bible calls him Satan or the devil. He's not, he's not a kind of caricature with horns and a pitchfork, but he's a, a spiritual reality at work in the world for evil. And if you're a Christian here today, the day that you became a Christian, he began plotting and planning how to deceive you, how to derail you, split you off from God and destroy your life. That's what he's doing from the day you became a Christian. 
And when you step out to follow Jesus and live a life that restores and heals, just as he's restored and healed you, as you step out to bless others and bring life and work for God and his purposes, you will, and you will have encountered it, you will face opposition. It says um, in Ephesians 6, For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I don't know about you, but when you're facing opposition, it's often got a human face, hasn't it? Right in front of you, you're seeing a person who is either lying to you or is trying to cheat you, is discouraging you, is tempting you, is criticising you, harming you, betraying you, subverting, degrading, oppressing. But the reality is it's a spiritual deal that's going on. And when we face opposition, and it's got a human face in front of us, we need to lift our eyes beyond the human face and remind ourselves that this is a spiritual reality that's going on. The person in front of you is not the opposition. The enemy is behind it all. There's this big picture going on. And remind ourselves of the battle that we face. How do we do that? How do we lift our eyes beyond the immediate opposition we face to the broader picture? 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 says, don't be unaware of the enemy's schemes. So how can we be unaware of the enemy's schemes? What schemes and tactics does the enemy use to deceive, derail and destroy us? We'll have a look at some in the passage. Verse 2 is the first one. Is ridicule. Mm, Should I be pressing up or down or side? There we go. There we go. First one is ridicule. Verse 2. You feeble people, feeble. Sacrifice isn't going to achieve anything. They won't get it done soon. They don't have the resources. Their enemies ridicule their weakness, their lack of strength, their speed, how quickly they're getting it done, their quality of work, how naff the wall looks, and how it's not going to do the job that it's meant to do. The lack of resource, the capacity, their desire and integrity... And the whole time, the enemy is trying to weaken them. He's trying to make them no fit for the battle by bringing in self-doubt, trying to get them to doubt themselves and question God's purposes in their life. Maybe you've faced ridicule in the past. Maybe somebody said to you, are you praying, are you? Good luck, that'll do. You think God is there, do you? You think he'll help you with that? And when that happens, we need to switch the light on, lights on and remind ourselves of what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying to get your head down. The second one, verse 10, discourage. He's trying to discourage. Your strength is failing. There's too much rubble. You aren't able to do this. It's too much for you. The enemy constantly trying to discourage us, trying to make us feel like you can't do this anymore. What God's asking you is way too much for you. There's no way you can accomplish it. He's being unreasonable. You can't live this Christian life. You don't have it in you. He's asking too much. You're in deep waters and your feet are going to fail like we were singing about this morning. Maybe you've had that. Maybe grief or sickness or bad news or disappointment has got in. The enemy is trying to discourage you. He's trying to get your head down. Next one, verse 14. I looked and said... Don't be afraid. What did Nehemiah see when he looked around the people of Israel? What did he see? He looked in their faces and he saw 
that they were scared, that they were in fear. That they were in fear. And fear paralyzes, doesn't it? paralyzes you, doesn't it? It stops you in your tracks. I don't want, you know, I'm going to play it safe and go where I feel secure. It stops you from stepping out onto the waters. It paralyzes you and keeps you trapped. Um, one writer says, we should fear nothing except for fear itself. It's because it's contagious as well, isn't it? It travels and it gets around. And what does, I could, I could talk all morning about fear, but what does that look like often in life? I wonder if you find your mind often what-ifing. You know, such and such has happened. Well, what if this happens? Well, what if this, what, what, if, what if that happens or this? And, this? and before you know it, you're what-ifing so much that he's got you in a spin and you're disoriented. And just, so, like, whoa, which of these is going to happen? And it just paralyzes you because you, you don't know what to do now because you're all in a spin. You ever had that feeling? Just what ifing? When you notice yourself what ifing, stop yourself right there. Just tell the Lord that you trust Him. Whatever the outcome is, you trust Him for what's ahead. And step onto the waters of the song was saying, Don't what if? He'll get you in a spin. You'll feel all disoriented and lost and struggle to find your feet again. Henry uh, Nuon says this You can live in the house of fear, that's Satan's agenda, or in the house of love, God's agenda. And Jesus says, Abide in me. The fourth enemy tactic, verse 12. You must return to us. Fellow Jews who are kind of out there in the world are saying to them, you, you must return to us. Give it up. You can't do it. It's too much for you. Give it up and come back. And Shirley's word this morning. And some of us are feeling like we just want to give up. It's too hard, this Christian life. I just want to give up. They would keep telling them, just give it up, you must return to us. These were Jews who lived out in the Persian Empire, they were living in enemy territory. Many of them had compromised in their marriages, in their business dealings, they'd compromised, they'd stopped kind of listening to what God had for their life and started living life their own way and had compromised. And Nehemiah's message throughout the whole of the book really is to stop compromising, come back to Jerusalem and renew your life with God. Maybe that's you today. You, when Shirley shared that word, you felt it. I just want to give up. I don't feel like I've got it in me. But you need to know that um, God is there ready for you. He's waiting for you to come back to him. He wants to heal and restore. He's ready with open arms to say, you, you can do this. With I'm with you all the way. My strength is there for you. So we don't want to be unaware of the enemy's schemes. You might have seen in the passage that there's this kind of dynamic of half of the workers were kind of getting on with the wall and half of them had spears and bows and shields and so on. Some of the workers were building with one hand with their weapon in the other hand. They're building the walls, they're doing the work, they're stepping out into God's purposes doing the stuff of blessing and bringing life and healing and restoration, and at the same time, they're fighting off the enemy, getting ready with the weapon to fight. So how can we be people who are at the same time in need of healing and restoration ourselves, kind of under fire from the enemy, 
feeling like we want to give up, often feeling discouraged? How can we fight that off and at the same time bring healing and restoration in life? How can we do the two at the same time? And the passage shows us that we're to be a prepared people. A prepared people. And the first thing is that we're to pray. Verse 9. We prayed to our God. Uh, Philippians 4 verse 6. Don't be anxious, don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's not... We've got an unfortunate situation in this passage where something that we talk about in life, in our society at the moment, is a lot of chronic anxiety, isn't it? Health condition of chronic anxiety. The Bible uses the same word here, anxious, but it's not talking about the same thing. What it's talking about here, and when Jesus says, don't worry, he's talking about kind of worrying. You know, tipping over from being concerned about what's ahead to kind of just worrying about it, what-ifing, getting in a spin. Prayer is the divine prescription for peace. Come to God in prayer and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. So learn all different types of prayer. Learn to pray in the morning to set your compass right. So you kind of get before God, kind of remember who he is, remember his purposes and plans for your life, ready to set yourself for the day. Pray the prayers when you're in that difficult moment where somebody's ridiculing you or if you're being dismissed or you feel hurt, just to fire off that prayer to the Lord to bring you peace. Think about the kind of prayers that help you dismiss unhelpful thoughts, the kind of prayers that help you guard yourself, that bat away the fiery darts of Satan as he tries to do all that we've looked at so far. So that's the first thing, pray. The second thing is, verse 9, set a guard as protection. Verses 13 and 22 say something similar. We need to know our lives are precious to God. Your life is precious to God. He cares very much for you. He came down, took on flesh, died on the cross, rose again to life, ascended into heaven because he values your life, because you're precious to him. You're important to him. So don't let any old thing get in. If something's precious, if you own something precious, what do you do with it? You put it somewhere safe, don't you? You protect it. If I... Oh yeah, so the other day I got a new phone which is in my pocket. Safe, guarded, <laughs> even though now I've told you all where it is. But I've got a new phone. The first thing I thought, I thought, this looks a little bit delicate and vulnerable, but it's pretty precious. It's cost a reasonable amount of money. I should probably look after it, monkey. And, and uh, I bought a phone cover. You know one of those quite thick ones that you know if you feel like you throw it at the wall, it'll survive. I mean, I'm not going to do that, but... You know, if I drop it, I want to know it's, it's safe. It's, I set a guard around it. I bought something to protect it. And uh, the Lord wants us to do the same thing with our lives. He doesn't want us to let any old thing in. Keep watch of your life. Be careful the things you watch on TV. Think about your conscience. Be careful where you go on the internet and the things you look at on there. Be careful about who you allow to speak into your life and affect your 
emotions. Thanks, my boy. That was really helpful. There you go, there's a phone with a guard around it. (laughs) Yeah, you want to keep a check on your emotions and your patterns of thinking. Set a guard around you. I'm not really into boxing, but there's been some pretty big boxing fights recently, hasn't there? And uh, you don't see boxers walk into the ring with their arms down, do you? You know, what do they do? (laughs) You know, this guy is a world-class fighter and I need a guard to protect myself. And sometimes, if you're watching a very one-sided fight, that's all they're doing, isn't it? (laughs) Just trying to dodge, just, just trying to protect themselves. Because they don't want to get a smack in the face. You don't want to get a smack in the face, do you? So set a guard. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance. Set a guard, because from it flow the springs of life. The third thing. In verse 14 he says, Don't fear. What's the next thing? Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. I.e., you don't fear a spider when there's a fire-breathing dragon behind it. <laughs> you don't fear the spider when you realise there's a fire-breathing dragon. Don't fear this. The Lord is great and awesome. Remember who he is and what he's done. Remember the Lord. Don't fear. Our next thing is clear the rubble. Verse 2 talks about heaps of rubbish and in verse 17 it talks about them covering, carrying away the, the burdens. They carried the rubble away, the bricks that were getting in the way, the rubbish that was in the way of them building the wall. Verse 12, uh, Hebrews 12 verse 1 says something similar. It says, uh, don't uh, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I... Don't try and manage sin in your life. Don't try and manage it and think, I can, I can work my life around this, I'll just have to live with it. Don't manage it. Don't hold on to your old hang-ups, hurts and your habits. Confess them, receive God's forgiveness and restoration because you can't build on rubbish and rubble. You need to clear the clutter out of the way and build your life on Christ's righteousness. He has lived the perfect life for you that you are incapable of living. Don't just try and manage the sin and live up to his standards. You can't do it. He's already lived the perfect life for you so you can receive his righteousness and live in freedom from the sin that you'd other tries that just, just is rubble and clutter in life. Say to God, I don't want this in my life anymore and allow his divine rubbish truck to come along, pick it up and carry it away because otherwise it will burden and hinder the life that God has for you and the work he wants to do in you and through you. Jesus Christ has died for it. It's forgiven. Let him deal with it. And the final thing was, have a heart for the work and for the people. In verse 6 it says the people had a mind to work or they had a heart for the work. Verses 17 and 21 says they laboured 
And in verse 22, Nehemiah says, no, don't go out there, you'll be dead meat out there. Stay in Jerusalem, stay in God's city. Be among his people. And Jesus says to us that I will build my church. I'm doing a work of restoration in it. It's bringing healing and restoration here. So no, we're not pretending that we've got all the answers, are we? We're not totally fixed and now, you know, we're the heroes. <laughs> you know, we're sorted. We're going to sort everybody else out there who's in trouble. No, we're, we're limping, aren't we? We've got limps of our own. Places where, where we've been healed. We've got wounds from the battle. And just as we've found healing and restoration, we want to extend Jesus's. Extend Jesus, because he's the one who brings healing and restoration to life. Um, yeah. So we give ourselves fully, like the workers did, having a mind to work, having a heart for the work. We give ourselves fully to the work God has for us. Um, so when you wake up tomorrow morning, whether you're going to work or you're serving your family, or you're serving in church life, give yourself fully to it knowing that the thing that God has given to you is not in vain. He's given it to you for a purpose. To do it for him, to do it for his glory. Your work's for him. He wants to achieve something through you. So we'd be a prepared people. And finally, we're a, we serve a faithful and mighty God. The constant uh, refrain throughout the whole of Nehemiah is that the good hand of the Lord was upon me. The good hand of my God was upon me. He keeps saying this a few times through the book. And what we need to know is the Lord's hand is upon you. God's hand is upon you. When you're up against it, where the enemy's up to his usual tactics and schemes, do you know that God is for you? Do you know that he's with you? Do you know that his favour is over you. Isaiah 51:16 I've put my words in your mouth and I've covered you in the shadow of my hand. I've covered you with my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you're my people. Do you know that the Lord says to us, you're my people. I cover you with my hand. I'm for you. I'm with you. Through all of the enemy's schemes. Jesus says this is the message version in John 10. My sheep recognise my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them real and eternal life. They're protected from the destroyer for good. No one can steal them out of my hand. The father who put them under my care is so much greater than the destroyer and the thief. No one could ever get away from him. These are wonderful truths, folks, that guard your heart and strengthen your hands for the work that's ahead. And we need to constantly understand how the Lord sees us and his promises over us on a daily basis so that the enemy's got little chance of deceiving us, derailing us, and destroying our lives. You don't have to read your Bible. But you'd be utterly crazy not to, just to remind yourself you don't have to read this. It'd be crazy if you didn't. 
just remind yourself each day, this is how the Lord sees me. This is his plans for me. These are his promises to me. And the final thing is, the enemy is disarmed. The band want to come back up. We'll um, respond in a second. Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he, Jesus, set aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed, he disarmed the rulers, he disarmed the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We're in a real battle with a real enemy, but he's fighting without weapons. It looks nasty, but he's harmless because the war has been won Jesus has defeated him and he has the victory. The enemy has no claim on you, no hold on you. He cannot put you down. Don't be discouraged by him. Don't let your head go down. Don't fear or compromise or allow your life to get cluttered up with rubble and rubbish. God is faithful and mighty and he will fight for you because he's already won the war. Um, 1 John chapter 4 verse 4 says this that greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world when the enemy is using his old schemes and tactics and trying to ridicule and discourage and make you fear and make you compromise remember greater is he the Lord than he is in the world Amen Should we stand and get ready to worship in response? This morning and um, as I've been speaking, you were in that place that Shirley was talking about. You just want to give up. You feel discouraged. Your head is down. You're wondering if you can keep going the whole lockdown thing's over and life looks like it's returning to normal but you still feel in a place of I don't know if I can carry on going on Lord we thank you that you are greater than the one who is in the world you have overcome him you've overcome the world you've defeated him at the cross he has no power he's a soldier out in the battlefield without a weapon feigning strength he's defeated we thank you Jesus on the cross and through your resurrection in your life you defeated him he's a defeated enemy you're the one seated on a throne reigning in majesty and glory in consummate victory that you cannot be unseated from where you are You are the greatest. You're the king of the universe. You're the king of kings and lord of lords. Everything else is beneath you and in subjection to you. We don't fear no spiders because we see the fire-breathing dragon, the Lord, 
who has overcome everything. There is no one like you. Nobody rivals you. Nobody is equal to you. We lift our eyes to you, Lord, and say, as the enemy comes at us, help us set our sights on you to remind ourselves that you, the Lord, are great and awesome in every way. And you're with us, fighting for us. Amen. Amen.